I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. Like I said, Mark asked me to preach late last night, um, and I didn't really have time to to talk about um, stewardship, our series. So I just want to remind you of the gospel again. Um, you, you can't be a good steward if you don't know Jesus. Uh, you, you can't be a good steward of anything in your life if your life hasn't been transformed. So I want to remind you of the gospel. So turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And the title of my message is, A Wee Little Man and a Big, Big God. A Wee Little Man and a Big, Big God. Luke 19, I actually want to start reading from Luke 18, uh, verse 35, and we'll, we'll read through our section. So Luke 18, 35, and we'll get to our section. A wee little man and a big, big God. Verse 35, as Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a crowd go by, he began to inquire what this was. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth was passing by. And he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way sternly tell him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through the way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, Half of my possessions I will give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is the word of God. Chipper Jones Many of you may have never heard of him. Uh, He had a huge impact on the game of baseball, especially in Atlanta, Georgia. The Atlanta Braves, defending World Series champs, if I may add, (laughs) selected him as their number one pick in the 1990 draft. And over the next two decades of his career, he helped the Braves win a World Series. He earned uh, a Most Valuable Player Award and became the face of a baseball dynasty. He hit over 468 home runs and over 2,700 hits. 
He stands as one of the greatest switch hitters the game has ever seen. He was selected in the Hall of Fame 2018 in his first year of eligibility. Chipper had an impact on thousands of baseball fans in Atlanta, Georgia, and all over the country. Ray Charles, Georgia, Georgia. You know the song, Ray Charles. Uh, The impact that Ray Charles has had on American culture is is indescribable. Uh, Although he was blind, he was unable to see, he was successful in making his artistic visions come to life by by fusing the sound of blues, gospel, jazz, and R&B, and making him one of the leading soul artists of the 1950s. He recorded over 60 albums, and he sold millions of records worldwide. Ray Charles had an impact on a society with music. Chick-fil-A, it's God's chicken, amen? I mean, who here doesn't like Chick-fil-A? With thousands of restaurants in 46 states, Chick-fil-A has grown to become one of the largest privately held and family-owned restaurants in the United States. It was first opened in Atlanta Mall in 1967. And every year, they make over $8 billion in profits. And they've had 49 years of consecutive growth. People love this place. Uh, Chick-fil-A has had a major impact because of their food and great service. So what's one thing that Chipper, Charles, and Chick-fil-A have in common? Well, they're all from Georgia. They're all from Georgia. Good things happen in Georgia. Nothing but the best comes from Georgia. (laughs) It's a joke. I'm from Georgia originally, and it's a little self-promotion. But in all seriousness, uh, those three things, they've had an impact on society. Uh, They they really rock the state of Georgia and the country. But I want to tell you that there's been no one or no thing that has an impact like Jesus Christ. Amen? No man has ever impacted the world like our Savior. Uh, There's been no king. Uh, There's been no doctor, there's no scientist, no educator, no politician, no athlete, no musician, no corporation that has ever made a greater contribution to the world than Jesus Christ. He's the subject of more books. He's the inspiration of more music. He's the passion of more paintings. He's the force behind hospitals. He's the motivation behind higher education. More money has been given to him. More lives have been dedicated to him. More martyrs have died for him. Why? Why so much for this man? Because he was more than just a mere man. He was more than just a carpenter. He was more than just a good teacher. He was God in flesh. God in flesh. In the 19th century, there was a man by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte. You may have heard his name. He, He was a a French military leader and a emperor who conquered much of Europe. And he spent the last 20 years of his life in prison and in exile. And in those loneliness of, loneliness of those years, he read the Bible and this is what he concluded. I know a man. And let me tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. And there's no comparison. Alexander, Caesar, and I have founded empires But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. 
But Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Why is that? Why? Because Jesus changes people. He changes lives. He's had an impact like no other. And my friend, tonight, I want to let you know that that same man, that same God man, God in flesh is here today and he can change your life. He can transform your life. He desires to take your life and transform it. No one who ever meets Jesus remains the same. And no one can, it's, it's not possible. He, he has an impact on people because he changes lives like no other. We saw this, did we not, in the story of blind Bartimaeus. Remember the first week back, if you were here, Mark was sick again, and he asked me to preach the night before. And we, we, we looked at the account of blind Bartimaeus in Mark's gospel. But here in Luke's account, the story of Zacchaeus comes right behind blind Bartimaeus. So I hope you saw that as we read through the text. And in this first story, it's no coincidence, in this first story, a poor blind man was changed. And in our text tonight, a rich man is changed by Jesus. It just shows you that Jesus impacts everyone. Everyone who encounters Jesus is a changed person. And found only in Luke's gospel, the story of Zacchaeus, he shows how Jesus makes an impact on people's lives. He changes people. You may be familiar with this story. You may have learned it through the children, the child song. Remember the song? You know it, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I practiced that for two hours with my four-year-old. You have no idea how hard it was. She knows it way better than I do. Correcting me, Daddy, you're not doing it right. <laughs> this story, it was, that song, it, it's wonderful, it's fun, it's catchy, it's really good. But there's so much more to that story than that song. And I just want to show you that, how, how Jesus impacts lives. So as we walk through this text, if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to, to, to see is Zacchaeus the sinner. Zacchaeus the sinner. So verse one, chapter nine, 19. He, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and he was passing through. Uh, Jericho, please note, was about 15 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, this was a stopping place for people to, to rest on their journey to, to Jerusalem, to, 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 to give their uh, sacrifices to the altar. And Jericho means, it's interesting, it means the perfumed. It means to smell. It's a place of fragrance. Uh, other scholars called it a little paradise. Uh, plenty of fragrant plants like roses and, and lush palm trees and sweet-scented balsam. They, they were everywhere. And travelers passing through were surrounded by so many fragrant smells. Uh, the, the city really lived up to his name. And his text says Jesus was passing through. So remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's at the end of his life. He was on his way to Jerusalem to die. 
And he was on his way to die on the cross for sinners like you and me. He was on his way to give his life, to, to be a sacrifice for sinful people. That that's where he was going. So why did he enter Jericho? Why did he pass through? I can tell you why, because one of his lost sheep was, was there. Uh, Jesus had to pass through in order to find it. He, he had to find this lost person. He was on a divine timetable. He knew that there was a lost sheep in, in Jericho and he needed to find him. Verse two says, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Please note that Jesus sought not to be, not sought, not the best man in town, but the worst. He sought the worst man in town. Zacchaeus was a tax collector who was nothing more than a government sanctioned crook who gathered taxes with much abuse and he would pocket himself a lot of money from which he extorted from his fellow countrymen. But not only was he a tax collector, but the text says that he was the chief tax collector. This is the only place in the New Testament where chief tax collector is mentioned. This means that he was ahead of this territory with many tax collectors who worked under him. And he would receive a portion of what they would milk from people, what they would, would rob from people. He was not a street thug who, who did the crime. Uh, he, he was the godfather who kept his hand clean of the crime while keeping his hands on dirty money. So no wonder Luke records that he was rich. Of course he was rich. He, he, he was the godfather of this. He, he was a crook. And truth be known, he was very rich, very rich. All, all At all expense of his fellow Jews, his fellow countrymen, this man was a crook. He was a con man. He was one of the biggest crooks in town. He was the ultimate schemer. Uh, look at chapter 18, verse 23, right before this, the rich young ruler. Uh, verse 23, 18. Uh, but when he heard these things, he became very sad. Jesus telling the rich young ruler that one thing you still lack is that you are rich. You, you, you have treasure in heaven. Get rid of it. And he heard these things. This man, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. So this man, it's impossible. Jesus just said it's impossible for him uh, to, to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a rich man. This man is a crook. This man can't be saved. He's, he was greedy. He was worldly. He was self-seeking. Zacchaeus had all the money. He wore the finest clothes. He wore ruby and emerald rings. He could do anything that his little heart desired. Anything that he wanted. Anything, anything except have self-respect and friendship of others. He was looked down upon because he was the godfather of crooks. And Zacchaeus was morally lost. He was intellectually lost. He, he was socially lost. He, he was hated. He was despised. And worse, he was separated from a holy God. He was separated from a holy God. Zacchaeus was a sinner, a sinner. And this is a reminder to all of us that by nature, we are morally corrupt. Every one of us, we are inclined toward evil. Uh, we are hostile toward the righteous God. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, there's none righteous, not one. There's none who understands. There's no one who does good. No, not one. So I ask you, in light of this, 
and examine yourself, are you a sinner? Do you recognize that you are a sinner? This is not a question of whether you make some mistakes, nor is it a matter of simply acknowledging that you have done a few wrong things. It's more than that. We're talking about sin. We're talking about death. We're talking about judgment. We're talking about hell. This is serious. Do you recognize that you have a sinful heart and a record of breaking God's law? Do you recognize this? Don't make any excuses. Don't pretend that you are basically a good person because if you do, then Jesus has nothing for you. He can offer you nothing because he came for sinners. But if you do recognize this, and if you don't know Christ, if you acknowledge your sin with with grief and in God's wisdom, God's goodness, he has solved your dilemma through the gospel of his son. Just like Zacchaeus, you and I are sinners. And we deserve the very worst. We deserve judgment. And we deserve hell for an eternity away from God. That's who we are. So we see Zacchaeus, the sinner. Second, if you're taking notes, we see Zacchaeus, the seeker. Zacchaeus, the seeker. Uh, Verse three, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. Our Lord's fame by by now, obviously, has, has spread throughout the whole country and region. Uh, everybody has heard of Jesus. He was popular. Uh, some say he was a good man. Uh, others say he was a devil. Uh, Zacchaeus wanted to see for himself. A uh, curiosity got the best of him. So he, along with this big crowd, showed up to see who Jesus was. Uh, was he a good man? Uh, was he a deceiver? Uh, was he a devil? Like others would say. Zacchaeus wanted to find out himself. He, he had to see him. This statement reveals so much. It reveals the the neediness, uh, the emptiness, and the lostness of Zacchaeus. He chose a path in life that made him wealthy, uh, that made him connected, that made him powerful, that made him successful. But there was something missing. There was something missing. He had in him a a restlessness, a a void, a, a hole in his soul. He was rich, but he was unhappy. He was powerful, but he was unloved. He he was successful, but he was unsatisfied. And there was a civil war raging in his heart. And Zacchaeus knew that he was separated from God and he lacked eternal life. He knew that there was something missing and he was feeling guilty over his sin. And he wants to see Jesus more than anything else. He's heard of this Jesus. He's heard of this Jesus who has, has healed many people, who has saved many people, who has preached that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through him. He has heard of Jesus. He had to see Jesus. Verse three continues. And Zacchaeus was unable because of the crowd. It's interesting that blind Bartimaeus, he heard the crowd and Zacchaeus saw it. He was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. Or in the Greek, I'll translate this as original Greek, vertically challenged. He's a little man. My Greek teacher's in the room, and he probably would be happy with that translation. But he was vertically challenged. 
He was a short man, tiny man. And verse four says, because he was tiny, he couldn't see. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up to a sycamore tree in order to see him. For for Jesus was about to pass through that way. Just like blind Bartimaeus, he had to get to Jesus. He had to, (coughs) excuse me, he had to see him. He must see him. His desire, Zacchaeus' desire was so sincere. It was so earnest. It was so desperate. He didn't let anything get in his way. He he didn't let the crowd get in the way. He didn't let his reputation get in the way. He didn't let his wealth get in the way. He didn't let his little man condition get in the way. And and please note, in this time period, men of of stature did not run or climb on trees. And that was a no-no, big no-no. He felt that seeing Jesus was more important than maintaining his image. He didn't care what other people had to think about him. He wanted to see Jesus. He had to see Jesus. So this little man, he ran ahead of the crowd and he climbed a tree and he waited till Jesus passed by. He had to see Jesus. He, he, he was going to get rid of everything and get rid of everything in his life. He didn't care what anybody thought. He had to see Jesus. He must see Jesus. And let me just tell you, do not let anything get in the way of seeing Jesus. Do not let anything in your life get in the way of you seeing Jesus tonight. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And no matter who you are, you need Jesus. No matter what you have, you need Jesus. No matter what your past is, you need Jesus. Our approach to life is, is often as ridiculous as this exciting young man who received his plumber's license. And he immediately went to Niagara Falls. And the first thing he said was, I think I can fix this. That's crazy. Let me tell you, you don't have the tools or the skill or the experience to deal with life, to deal with sin, to deal with death, to deal with judgment, to deal with eternity on your own. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And maybe there's a curiosity or a yearning in your heart to know Jesus. And maybe for the first time, you're trying to see Jesus. Maybe now more than any time in your life, you want to see him. You want to know him. And maybe the crowd you're hanging out with is keeping you from Jesus. And maybe the company you are keeping is an obstacle between you and Jesus. Maybe your friends are keeping you away from Jesus. The Bible says, seek the Lord, seek him, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You need Jesus. You need him. Don't let your past get in the way. Don't let your career get in the way. Don't let your money get in the way. Don't let your image get in the way. Don't let your friends get in the way. Nothing should get in the way for you meeting Jesus. Nothing. It's amazing at the end of Luke 18, Jesus ministers to the poorest man in Jericho, a blind beggar who was sitting on the road in the outskirts of town, blind Bartimaeus. And at the beginning of Luke 19, he ministers to the richest man in town. Amazing just to see. That's why we read both accounts. And this just shows you that the good news is that Jesus loves you enough to meet you where you are. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. It doesn't matter if you are male or female. It doesn't matter if you're single or married. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. 
Jesus changes lives. It does not matter. You need Jesus. You need to seek Jesus. Just like Zacchaeus, you need to seek him. You need to seek him. He is the friend of sinners. Do you know Jesus? And if you don't, what's stopping you for seeking him? What's holding you back? So we see Zacchaeus the sinner, then Zacchaeus the seeker, third, taking notes, Zacchaeus the salt. Zacchaeus the salt. Verse five, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down. For today, I must stay at your house. Just love that. Zacchaeus thought he was hidden in this tree, but Jesus saw him. Uh, Zacchaeus thought he was unnoticed, not unnoticed, but Jesus saw him. Zacchaeus thought he can blend in with this crowd, but Jesus saw him. Of course, Jesus saw him, right? And Jesus knew. Je- Jesus was searching for one of his lost sheep. He was looking for that person. He was searching for Zacchaeus. His eyes were looking everywhere for him. And his eyes were searching for Zacchaeus. He foreknew Zacchaeus in eternity past. How could he not see him in the sycamore tree? He knew exactly where he was. Why? Because the good news of God, the call of God comes to unworthy sinners. He knows who his sheep are. And Jesus calls him by name. Think about that. He calls him by name. Zacchaeus is just trying to see him. All of a sudden, Jesus calls him by name. He must have been stunned. He must have been shocked. He must have been surprised. He he was speechless. And Jesus commanded him, hurry, come down, because today I must stay in your house. Can you imagine how startled and surprised Zacchaeus must have been at this moment? Jesus sought him out of the crowd. Jesus found him out of the crowd in a tree. He was looking for him. I would imagine that Zacchaeus almost fell out, fell out of that sycamore tree. He was so stunned. And there's several things that I want you to notice here about Zacchaeus being sought. And the first thing was, it was an individual call. An individual call. Jesus called him by name. He called him specifically. He called him by his name. It was personal. And the Bible says that he calls his sheep by name. The outward call, the gospel invitation is general and it goes out to whosoever. But the inward call of the divine summons is individual. It goes out by name. It's personal. And second thing that we see was an urgent call, an urgent call. Jesus said, hurry today. This is urgent. It's not to be put off. It's not to be delayed. It's not to be next week. Not to be next month. This is today. It's his urgency here. It's an urgent call. And it's also an intimate call. Jesus says, I must stay at your house. This is personal. I want to know you, Zacchaeus. I want you to know me. Let me stay with you. This is intimate. I want to have a personal relationship with you. My friend, please know this is how salvation occurs. It becomes real in our lives when the Lord Jesus calls us to himself. It is intimate, it's an urgent, and it's a personal call. This is the powerful drawing of the Holy Spirit. 
And if you don't know Jesus, he is calling you out tonight. He's calling you out tonight. The mere fact that you are here tonight and hearing this message, he is calling you out tonight to come. Come to me. He is calling out to you through me. He's calling you out through his word, through this message. He's calling you out by name. He's calling you out personally. He's calling you out individually. He sees you in this crowd. He sees your heart. He sees your mind. He knows everything about you. And he's calling out you out to come. Come to me. He's saying, do not wait. Today is the day of salvation. Do not hesitate. Come, come, come right now. Come at this moment. Jesus is saying, I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to come into your heart. Hurry, make haste. Don't wait. This is what Jesus is saying. This is how it works. There is a time in which you must be saved, my friend. You can't be put off. You may not get another opportunity to hear the gospel and to respond. And when that time comes, you must respond. And tonight is that night. If you don't need know Jesus, I call you to come. Come to him. It's not later or it will be too late. It will be too late. You can't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. Come. If God is speaking to your heart tonight, and if he's speaking to the the depth of your, your soul, do not refuse him. Do not wait. Do not put him off or your soul will be lost forever. Examine yourself. At the end of verse six, I just love this. Zacchaeus received him what? Gladly, gladly. His heart was full of joy, so much joy. He received Jesus with joy. And this is what it means to receive Jesus. Jesus will not drag any person to heaven who does not want to go. Joy in Jesus is the mark of true conversion. As we heard last week, if you heard the, the Puritan conference, is our affections, our affections, our joy, our love because of what he has done. Which begs for the question, Christian, does Jesus bring you joy? Does Jesus bring you joy? Only joy can express what it means to be caught up in salvation in Jesus. That's what true joy is. Salvation in Jesus. You're caught up in it and you can't express it. As Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith of the salvation of your souls. So I ask you again, Christian, child of God, does joy mark your life because of Christ? When other people see you, do they see joy? Do they see you receiving Jesus gladly, joyfully? Verse seven, when they saw it, the crowd, they all began to grumble, saying, he, Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Uh, the grumble there is a very strong word. A very strong word indicating the crowd's 
intense disapproval of Jesus' action. Not only speaking with Zacchaeus, that was bad enough, but also staying the night. Uh, the verb translated gone, uh, it means to loosen one's clothing in preparation for staying overnight. So Jesus spent the night with him. He wanted to stay with him overnight. And the crowd hated that. You shouldn't be talking to him, much less staying with him. No self-respecting Jew would, would ever pollute himself by staying at the house of tax collectors, especially the chief of tax collectors. But that, however, it meant nothing to Jesus. Jesus did not care. He, he was on a divine mission. He was on a divine timetable to bring this lost sinner to salvation. Jesus did not care. And praise God, right? Praise God, Jesus came to seek and save. Not the best man in town, but the worst, amen? He came to save the worst man in town. He came to seek and save, not the most loved man, but the most loathed man. He came to seek and save, not the most honored man, but the most hated man. He came to seek and save, not the most respected man, but the most rejected man. He came to seek and save, not the most godly man, but the most greedy man. He is the friend of sinners. He is the guest of sinners. There's no one like him. Jesus doesn't care. He is the friend of sinners. He's the friend of sinners. And he was seeking out Zacchaeus. He was on Zacchaeus like white on rice. He was after Zacchaeus because he doesn't care who he associates with, the good, the bad, the ugly. It doesn't matter to Jesus. Praise God for that. So we've seen Zacchaeus the sinner, Zacchaeus the seeker, Zacchaeus the salt. And the last thing, fourth, taking notes, Zacchaeus the saved. Zacchaeus the saved. And so far, all we've seen in Zacchaeus is nothing but worldliness, uh, greed, materialism, pride, lover of money. Then he meets Jesus who changes people. And Jesus changed Zacchaeus, this man, this sinner, to the very core of his being. Look at verse eight. It says, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to you, or give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Immediately, immediately Zacchaeus begins to show evidence of the new life in Christ. Immediately, Zacchaeus shows that his salvation is real. This is genuine. And when salvation is real, there's an overwhelming desire to come clean in every area of one's life. A clean heart will not desire desire to live with dirt. A new heart will not desire to live with old sin. A changed heart will live a changed life. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. Money was no longer all important to Zacchaeus. His image did not matter. Now it's all God and personal holiness. That's the only thing on his mind. He wanted to live for God. He wanted to live for Christ. He wanted to change everything. The genuineness of his salvation was made evident by the complete transformation of his behavior. He changed everything. It was immediate. And Luke tells us in verse nine, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Jesus assured him that he indeed had been genuinely converted. He says, today you have been saved. Today you have been secured. And immediately this assurance of salvation, it floods Zacchaeus' heart. He's assured that I'm a new man. 
I'm a new creature. So not only does Jesus save his lost sheep, but when he does, he gives them the assurance of their salvation, that you are mine, that no one can snatch you out of my hand. You are mine. You are in my hands. I have you. I died for you. I live for you. You are mine. I love what our pastor, and he says in his commentaries, and he just sums it up so well. And he said this, so complete was Zacchaeus' transformation that he instantaneously went from being a thief to being a benefactor, from being selfish to being unselfish, from being a taker to being a giver. He became a true Jew, part of the Israel God, a a Jew who was one inwardly. He was no longer just a son of Abraham by race, but a son of Abraham by faith. That very day, he was justified by faith. Now, I love this. This is what Pastor John says. The one who had been lost was saved and delivered from sin, death, and hell. The Lord gave him life and light to believe and repent, and his life was transformed. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. That's what Jesus does. He changes lives. He has an impact on so many people. Then Jesus says in verse 10, the last verse, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus is saying, in other words, no longer Zacchaeus are you lost. You were lost, but now you are found. You were lost, but now you are saved. I have sought you, Zacchaeus, and now I have saved you. You were my enemy, now you're my brother. Now you're part of my family. And when a sinner does seek after God, he does so only because God has sought him first. God has already called him out of darkness into his marvelous light and shattered his state of death by making him alive, by making him a new person. In other words, salvation came to Zacchaeus because he was sought out. He was sought out. It was God who prompted the interior seeking. Zacchaeus was saved because in his seeking, he was sought. God was actually seeking him. Jesus was actually seeking him. What a savior. Amen. What a savior. To me, this is one of the sweetest verses in the Bible. In this one short sentence, we are told what Christ came into this world for. He came for a purpose. He came to do a work. He came to save sinners like you and me. Friend, it is still true that the great Savior and friend of man has come among us and is still seeking and saving lost sinners. He is still doing his work today. This story describes the conversion of a soul. And let me tell you what Jesus did for Zacchaeus, he is able and willing to do for you. No one is too bad to be saved. No one is too bad to be saved. No one is beyond the power of Jesus's grace and mercy. The 
The door of hope, which the gospel reveals to sinners, is wide open. It's very wide open. Sin has destroyed you, even if you don't even realize it. It's destroyed you. It has left you, left you lost. It has left you evil. It has left you corrupted. It has left you ruined. It has left you just sad in a desperate state. And it has you on a road leading to eternal hell. But when you confess your sin and put your trust in Christ, in the Savior, in that moment, you receive forgiveness from God. You receive new standing before God. You have a home with God. You have a new heart from God. And you have a personal relationship with God. So I must ask you, how salvation come to your life? We've been talking about stewardship and how we steward a good life. This has been amazing. But I want to remind you, you can't steward anything if your life hasn't been changed. What you're stewarding doesn't matter. You need Jesus in order to be a good steward of your life. As many as you know, (laughs) my daughters have had numerous stays and visits at the hospital, uh, more than I like to count. And one thing that I've learned over these years is that hospitals discharge many cases that are incurable. I've seen it. But let me tell you, there are no incurable cases under the gospel. There's none. Any sinner may be healed if he will only come to Christ. Will you come to Christ? Father, you have saved us. You have opened our eyes to your gospel. What a savior. Lord, I pray for the person in this room tonight who doesn't know you. They may have been a member of the church their whole life. Or they may be the worst man in town. But if they don't know you, it doesn't matter. Lord, I pray that you just penetrate their hearts and their souls right now. Friend, if you don't know Jesus, give your life to him. This is no game You are dealing with sin and eternal judgment. But Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Give your life to him. And for the believers in the room, Lord, I pray as we we were reminded through your word how you saved us and your mercy and your grace that we live a life with joy and that we can only be good stewards because of what you've done. And it's only because you are working through us. Lord, help us as we discuss tonight, Lord. Help us as we leave. We just love you and we're so grateful for Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.